This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. Matt, it's a pleasure to have you on here today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I am running the show solo dolo today, but uh, usually we have a co-host here with us. Uh, Jason is not feeling well, so we're running this just mm-hmm. you and I. But the most important place we can start the show, as always, is and it's tradition around here, is to ask, do you yourself, Matt, come from a family of entrepreneurs? No. No, I can't think of a single entrepreneur in my family, actually. Okay. And what does your origin story look like? Well, how how far back do you want to go? Uh, just in general, I mean, what kind of influences do you have around you professionally or your parents, you know, uh, in the in the healthcare industry, were they teachers in education? You know, like, what does that look like? Because I, I want to make sure I understand the context of your profession. Well, um, you know, my, my father was a pilot uh, for his career. He's retired now, so I'm using the past tense. Okay. Uh, my, my mom was a nurse. You know, and I think my mom has got a very, very strong personality, and she she kind of she's kind of stubborn. And I think that's probably where the entrepreneurial spirit came from. Was just kind of saying like, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to do what other people are asking me to do. I, I want to figure out how to solve problems for myself. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I I always love seeing how that connects and correlates. And I'm glad that you made one of those connections here with sort of where your personality might uh, tie into that. Because it, where we come from makes so much of who we become, whether we choose to rebel against it or go with it, right? And for me, it's always a curiosity of mine to get a conversation started that way, to know mm. that that your and I, I you know I try to explain why I ask this question when it's relevant because uh it's part of creating a really awesome experience for the listener I think because now that we know that you know your father was a pilot and your mother was a was in healthcare right and, and we start looking at the way that you know it tells you what's possible right as you're growing up and then you because in my notes, I have some really interesting things here. Uh, and in particular, I think it was that you wrote a book called Serve to be Great Leadership Lessons from a Prison, a Monastery, and a Boardroom, right? So that's why when I asked that question, I was also looking at how do I connect all of this to leadership lessons from a prison, a monastery, and a boardroom? And without any other context, I'm like, okay. So... <laughs> I, I see now that you went the path of entrepreneurship and authoring content. So how do we get there? Was it something that you said to yourself, because I don't want, like you you mentioned, you know, I'm pretty stubborn, this and that. Uh, or did you sort of grow up knowing by watching your parents, I'm going to do something other than work for somebody else? No, I think I think it all comes down to impact. You know, I've just, I've always wanted to make a big impact in, in the world um, and at at some points in my life, probably thinking a little bit too big, 
and you know i had a uh, spent some time training as as a monk and I, through that wow. experience i i realized that like really although it's you know if you're going to if you're going to do something it's it's fine to go big and i i still try to go big but i've realized that what's most important are the one to one interactions with with human beings you know it's like if you can build this habit where with every single interaction you're leaving somebody just a little bit better off than you found them adding a little bit of value in their in their life leaving them feeling a little bit better emotionally uh that's really where it's at and it so then it doesn't really matter ultimately it doesn't really matter what your career is or how big your company grows and if if you know every night when you go to bed like man everybody i touched today or everybody I interacted with i left them a little bit better off than i found them life is pretty good yeah man that's big and you know just knowing and learning that you took steps to go into monk training you know, now we're talking about discipline. We're talking about focal focus, right? And being able to really hone in and things of that nature. These are all qualities and attributes that are absolutely essential to successful entrepreneurialism. So for me, knowing that you had that background says a lot, right? Because a lot of people go in there and sure, they're looking for enlightenment and inner peace. And those are certainly things that you may start to find, right? But that's a lifelong journey. And you can either spend your entire life, this is my understanding, correct me where I'm wrong. You can either spend your entire life in the peaceful monastery looking for that, or you can take your training out to the world where you put it head to head against the things that really will cause the disruption, right? And this is what entrepreneurs have to do is they have to sit here and look at chaos happening all around them and go, okay. And none of that matters because what I choose to do is this and what I choose to see is this. And do you find that was sort of why you chose to, because it doesn't look like you know, you're not here with robes. So I'm under the impression <laughs> that you chose to step away. Is that sort of where that comes in? You found you were looking for further growth? Well, I can certainly agree. The reason I didn't end up ordaining for the rest of my life was exactly what you stated. As I thought, you know, I think I can make a bigger impact if I continue training in that way. Um, continue living with that type of discipline and simplicity, but out in the quote unquote real world, I, I just realized I could make a bigger impact that way, particularly just because of my, um, just the way I approach things. And it's, it's, I don't mean to demean anyone who stays a monk, uh, stays ordained for their whole life. I think there's, there's certainly a lot of value there, but just for me personally, I thought I could make more of an impact and, and you're right. Uh, you know, really this mind training this that comes with uh, training training the mind with mindfulness is is extremely helpful um for exactly what you're talking about is the moment you decide to become an entrepreneur you've just signed up for a life of chaos right there's no there's no stability everywhere the reality is there's no stability anywhere in anything people delude themselves into thinking that it is but what happens is if you train your mind uh, in a certain way then chaos isn't something you try to avoid. In fact, you lean into it and you realize wherever there's chaos, there's opportunity. There's wherever there's problems, there are potential solutions. And that's the true entrepreneurial spirit in my mind, right? It's, it's not like, Hey, how can we, how can we sell something that nobody really needs? You know, it's more of what's a, what's a really important problem. You know, where, where can we really add value in somebody's life and solve that problem? And of course, the beauty of entrepreneurism is that entrepreneurship, you know, is if, if you find a problem that is painful and a lot of people have it, there just happens to be a lot of zeros behind that solution. <laughs> right. I love that you brought it up because 
uh, lately I've been preparing for something that I'm going to be doing on the 1st of December, like a talk and uh, focus on personal branding. And, and I talk about how personal branding in particular really relies on your own passion. And then I go on to talk about how passion itself has to be derived from like a problem you really want to solve. Right. And, and I said, to, and, and, I, and, and as I was writing things out, I realized, you know, I knew this in, intuitively, but I started saying, you know, if you can't find a problem as a, as the origin point for why you're doing this at all and why you want to become an authority and go out there and take up space on the market, then you're legitimately just a solution looking for a problem. And that's the entire opposite of entire opposite direction of how you should be entering a market. And and I love that your emphasis on on your beliefs and and likely the work that you do comes from like try to see what the world needs and 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 contribute to it as opposed to just contributing to the masses of people who are confused fumbling and stepping into the marketplace and saying okay well i've got this this is how these are these are the things that i'm going to bring to it and now let me find how that fits to the problems that's one way of doing it but it, it it's usually a lot harder than just taking the time to observe a market interact with it in, in a couple of ways and identify that this is this is a problem i come across a lot and then saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to take it upon myself to be the solution to that problem, right? And then stake your ground and really be the leader in that sense. Because if you can clearly identify the problem and you believe you understand it well enough, you can be a leader for that industry, for that solution, for that problem. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on sort of, because I have here in my notes as well, that you have an entire framework for leadership that you work with people uh, on, but I, but I, I want to come back to the story a little and how, okay. So you're at this, you, you, you go through the training and you, and you step out, but where do you, dis, where do you make the explicit decision? I want to go into business and I want to offer leadership uh, guideposts and training. Like how yeah, does well, that, that, how does that come? <laughs> it didn't. I mean, that it's exactly what you're just describing. I didn't go looking for how how is what I've experienced gonna just magically become a career? It just kind of <laughs> happened. You know, I was running a nonprofit, um, the Florida chapter of Kids Kicking Cancer, and I was noticing how, you know, I was just I was really trying to make this effort to take good care of team members, p- people that we hired, volunteers that worked with us, um, really try to help them be the best that they can be, to be happy both at work and away from work. And it just occurred to me that like, wow, you know, this is, this seems like this really helps people uh, become more engaged, you know, where they, they, they really enjoy their work. They go home fulfilled. And so I I started looking at, well, you know, I wonder how much of this is as a result of mindfulness, you know? So I started doing some workshops with leaders on mindfulness to help them do this more. And, and then realized that there's this huge jump I made because a lot of people don't even realize how important it is to be taking good care of your team members. I mean, I think everybody intuitively knows we should. It's just that we get caught up in all of what seems so urgent and all of the tasks on our to-do list that very few people, I think, consistently meet the needs that people have for thriving in the workplace. So I kind of took a step back and really started there, uh, realizing that the mind training component is probably a little advanced. There's not a whole lot of people that are ready for that. Um, and that's just kind of, that's kind of how things grew. It's just like, Hey, I'll try to solve this problem. And then as you, as you stated, like, oh, well, there's, there seems to be this other problem. That's probably a little bit more painful, a little bit broader. Um, maybe I can solve that. And 
that's actually what ultimately led to this framework that you alluded to, you know, is I've been in, I've been in leadership development for a decade and I've known for almost the whole time that there's just something wrong with how leadership training is usually delivered because it, it usually, it tends to be a kind of a one-off thing where it's a lot of information delivery, half a day of training or a full day of training. And then people, they get excited and they have all these things they want to do. And then they get back to the office on Monday and rea- reality just doosh, you know, just hits them in the face and they're, and they're all over the place and nothing really sticks. And I realized that there's just most organizations don't invest in a follow-up sequence that helps take all that information that was delivered and turn it gradually into behaviors that are repeated and then become habits that stick. So I've, I've known this for a long time. Um, and then I connected the dots just about a year ago with I hadn't realized how ineffective employee engagement surveys are because they, they, it's kind of the same thing where people collect all this information, like 50 questions at once. And, and then by the nature of having so much data, it takes a while to interpret it. It takes even longer to come up with a plan for how you're going to address it. And you actually do more harm than good because employees are like, why did you ask me for my opinion if you're not going to do anything about it? Right. So I had this insight about a year ago that, oh, I think the solution to both of them uh, is it's 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 interrelated. Everything has to be broken down into smaller little chunks, and and it just kind of born born out of this was a framework, just a simple four step process that any leader can apply to be effective. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have charisma or whether you you know you're the last likely person, or the least likely person to be thought of as a natural born leader. Doesn't matter. Anyone can drive high levels of engagement by following this simple process. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that so something like that can only come from, as you as you said, really being in the trenches with something and then deciding, wait a minute, I can increase the effect I have on everyone around me because I can see something that clearly nobody else is seeing or doing anything about if they do see it. And then you decided to move in that direction and a framework which is easy to understand. You can literally choose one step of a framework every day and progress and then cycle back until you perfect it if you absolutely had to. And that's pretty much what most people can do because the majority of people aren't going to step away, go into a monastery or or some kind of retreat and stay there. And their equivalent of going going away for monk training is to go away for a weekend at a business training only to be inundated with a bunch of information that they're going to forget over drinks that same night, right? When they, when they hang out <laughs> yeah. with everybody else, I've been there myself, and then come back home fired up and then go to sleep and then wake up the next morning and the entire routine hits you again with all the same triggers, right? Whatever you have in your home environment, the same coffee that you always drink and everything that was different because you were in a different environment is now gone. So how do you retain things like that? And I imagine your framework, I'd love to get into at least one or two of the of the, of the the pieces of that framework uh, before this conversation is over, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that. Oh, absolutely. Share the whole thing. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, it, it's fairly simple. And in fact, it's it's in its simplicity that I think why so many people have overlooked it. You know, yeah. it, it's it's oftentimes the most obvious solution is the one that gets overlooked because you just say, "Oh, that that's just too simple, right?" So part the first step is just clarifying 
what the primary job of a leader is. And if you think about it, if you ask a hundred different people, you know, what does a leader do? You probably get a hundred different answers. But when I tell you what the primary job of a leader is, you're going to say, well, duh, that's really obvious, right? What is the primary job of a leader? And this is including, even if you have PL responsibility and you're in charge of strategy, it's tied with strategy. But the primary job of a leader is very simple. I don't care what you lead, whether it's a church volunteer group, a Fortune 500 company, it doesn't matter. Your primary job as a leader is this, to inspire greatness in your team. That's it, right? Yeah, you you want to help people be the best that they can be. You want to inspire people to do and be their best. The way I like to say it is you want to help people to be happy, great human beings who do great work. That's the primary job of a leader. And it's so obvious that, again, we overlook it. Many of us know this. As soon as I said it, you were like, well, of course, that's the primary job of a leader, right? That's what leaders do. Oh, you of get, course. <laughs> you, get, you get teams of people to work together to do way more than anyone could do by themselves, right? That, that's what leaders do. But it's really cool. What happens is if, if you start, it's almost like this engineering principle uh, of first principles thinking. If you start with this very simple, basic principle, a pri- the primary job of a leader is to inspire greatness in his or her team. Well, then what follows next is a very logical question. Well, how do you do that? Right? What, what's the next step if, if we agree that that is the primary job of a leader? Well, the next step is very logical. right? If you want to inspire greatness, the first thing that we would do is identify what do people need to be great? What do people need to be happy, great human beings who do great work? Simple, right? So now the good news here is we have decades of research telling us exactly what people need, right? You've got, uh, there are, by my lights, the research shows 14 kind of core needs that are essentially universal, meaning everybody has these needs to thrive at work. And again, it's pretty common sense stuff. Do you have clear performance expectations? Do you have what you need to do your job? Are you doing work that you enjoy or that leverages your strengths? Do you feel appreciated? Are you growing? Do you feel like your opinion matters? Are you doing meaningful work? Do you feel like you belong? The most important one of all, and the Gallup is really clear on this, the Gallup research states over and over again, the primary driver of engagement is does the supervisor care about the direct report? If a, if a team member feels that their supervisor truly cares about them, that is the primary driver of engagement. So that so the good news about that second step is that you don't have to go figure it out. We already know. We already know what drives engagement. So then the third step kind of logically flows from that, right? So if you if you know, all right, I've identified now there are individual kind of unique needs too. So the needs I just mentioned are universal. Everyone has them. But if you care about people, you have more meaningful conversations with them, more meaningful interactions, and you figure out there might be some things that each individual needs that are specific to them. There's some real gold to be to be mined there. But so the third step is, if once you've identified what do people need to be great, well, you need to get feedback on, are you meeting those needs, <laughs> right? How consistently are you meeting those needs? And this is where most organizations f- fail. And and individual leaders, even if you're a small team and you just have you know a handful of employees, we don't get feedback from who it matters most to get feedback from, which is the people we lead. And large organizations, what they do is they do these huge surveys once a year. That, as we mentioned earlier, you end up doing more harm than good because it's almost by nature, you're almost guaranteeing it's going to be six months before you can do anything just because of how much data you collected. So this is a, a really important part. This, this is where the magic can happen is 
instead of doing large surveys, you, you do little bite-sized things. So you have these 14 needs, right? And there's a handful of behaviors or habits to meet each of these 14 needs. The framework that we use is you break that down. So those 14 needs are broken down into 30 habits that all leaders should have or some variation of these for meeting these needs. And instead of asking a bunch of questions at once, you ask one. So how well am I meeting this particular need? And then what happened that what that what that allows you to do is respond very quickly because you get a little bit of feedback back. And before you ever ask the question, you should have a plan for how you're going to respond because you already we already know what the needs are, right? So if I know people should be growing and I ask, you know, am I do, do you feel like you're growing in our on our team? I should already have a plan for well, I know that I'm not perfect at this. What's at least one thing I could do to help people grow more? So that as soon as I get that feedback, I tell them, hey, thank you for that feedback. Here's what I'm going to do to help you grow more. And that is the, that's our kind of our secret hack is by when you take, when you take a little bit, you just ask one question and get a little bit of feedback. And then you, you're just working on one thing as a leader. You're not saying like, I got to go learn, you know, 15 different skills from Stephen R. Covey and Marshall Goldsmith. And, you know, there's all these great leadership uh, thought leaders, right? And, it, and it's all great stuff. But the problem is if you try to do all of it at once, you do nothing. So you, when you get just a little bit of feedback and then you immediately show your team members, hey, I appreciate your feedback and I'm going to do something about it. They feel already that drives engagement. Do you know that Gallup has found that in organizations, uh, or in organizations where employees agree with this following statement, engagement is three times higher, nearly three times higher. And the statement is simply this, my organization acts upon the results of surveys I complete. Just that. So if you can just get feedback and then act on it quickly, that alone shows that you care, that alone will drive engagement. But it also helps the manager. So if, you, if you're only getting a little bit of feedback and you're only trying to develop one new skill, it's much more likely that you're going to stick with that and that it, you're going to be able to do it for a couple of weeks or three weeks, however long the interval is before the next survey, there's a really good chance you're going to take some action, even if it's not perfect, and start developing a new habit. Particularly, as you mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of habit formation, if all these things usually, almost to a T, provide a pretty quick feedback loop. Guess what happens if you start appreciating team members? If you start making a habit to find one person doing something right every day and thanking them for it, Guess what happens? People start producing more. <laughs> they're happier. They're more productive. You feel good, and and that that's how habits stick, right? Is when you get this feedback. Oh, this is this is good. This feels good. I see results. I'm going to do it more. Yeah, man. No, I I think it's important that you illustrated not only the framework itself, but even even at a at a higher meta level, it's like you want to be your leader. Have a plan. And make it as simple as possible so that when you go to talk to somebody about some leadership stuff, you already have a plan in place as a leader should to potentially lead the discussion forward. Like at, at a very basic, like meta skeleton bones level, like just have a plan and you don't have to guess what that plan is. I've got the research and here are 30 different ways you can look at that plan, right? And, and, and be prepared for it. And you get to choose which one of those you want to focus on. The point is, though, that you took it upon yourself to have a direction going forward, and and like that, like at a, at a at a core level, that's what we're talking about. And it's interesting how many people don't, right? They'll sit there, they'll go to leadership trainings, what have you, and they're like, "Great, 
It's all in me. Now let's see if it works. Right. And that's that. That's it. And then they just wing it. And that often comes from people who are charismatic and not necessarily always emotionally intelligent. Right. Because there, there's a degree of emotional intelligence I feel like is important to have and a degree of humility to be willing to follow a framework to actually be a good leader, right? And often the ones who find themselves in positions of leadership were usually people who were promoted up to that uh, from a degree of excellence in some kind of activity that they were doing. And now being a leader is different from actually doing the work, right? And so now their ego is clashing against other high performers and it turns into all those things. And so I love that we get to have a discussion about, look, it's going to take some humility to be able to look at information that's going to give you an opportunity to create a feedback loop between you and the team, the team members you're supposed to be supporting, and, not and doing so, their job. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's so important about this first step is you hit the nail on the head. Most people are promoted not because they've displayed a propensity to be a good leader. They're promoted because they're really good at their jobs. And so then what do people do when they get into a management position? Well, they they keep doing what they've always done. They work hard. If people, <laughs> you know, if people aren't doing as well as them, they micromanage them because they know they can do it better. They and so it's this is super important to start off with this mindset shift. My job is no longer to execute tasks. And that's why the first step I always recommend is just change your job description. Right. So as soon as you get promoted to a manager, I know what the average job description is going to be. It's like you're in charge of blah, 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 blah. And it's all just a bunch of tasks, basically. Go ahead and print that up. And here's an easy hack to start developing this mindset. Print that job description up at the top of it, write additional responsibilities. Then on a separate sheet of paper, print or write up something to the effect of this. My job is to serve, is to inspire greatness in my team by serving as a coach who helps people to be happy, great human beings who do great work. That is your job if you're a leader. Everything else is an additional responsibility. And when you make that flip, now you start thinking differently about, okay, my job is to help these people be their best, help them work together to create a synergistic effect where, where one plus one plus one plus one doesn't equal five, it equals 10 or 15. And that's what good leaders do. That's what great leaders do is they they bring out the best in each individual and they help those people work together to create a synergistic effect where the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. It's so important because... Like like we were talking about people who are high performers get promoted, right? And then they they are literally if they're if they're not good at their promotion, which is now a leadership position, then they end up robbing the people under them the opportunities of further development, right? By getting in the way and going, I'm gonna do the job then. And you can't seem to do it. You can't rob those learning moments from them because they're gonna require learning moments. And the whole point is you went from being a high performer to being asked to be a developer of people now, right? And that's such a hard transition. I myself have worked with people who are brilliant and they're even in the executive suite as operators and they're still in the trenches, still stepping in, still speaking with vendors, still taking it upon themselves to do the marketing and you name it. And it's like, 
that's not what you're supposed to be doing. That's not the role you're supposed to be doing. You're in a leadership position, even if it's a startup and people wear many hats, you have to create some boundaries around what you're going to do otherwise. And I've seen this. I've literally seen it happen. It will implode and people will say, I don't get it. They give me all this feedback. They tell me what they need to do, but then they just step in and do the job anyways. What am I supposed to do? And then they're disgruntled and they tell me this in confidence, you know, and I was there as a contractor. So I'm watching all this happen. And I just think to myself, wow, for some people, they really can't see when they're, when they're not doing the thing they're supposed to be doing. And it's, people could be listening to a conversation on leadership that like, like you and I are having Matt and going, yeah, well, you know, I know. And they'll know all these things we're talking about. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm a leader and, you know, I don't, I don't do the work. And then the first frustration they run into or bottleneck in their operation and, and, and their workflow. And suddenly they're like, never mind, move out of the way. I'll do this. <laughs> that's why, that's why that, that first step, that first little hack I just gave you, you know, you print up that new job description you read it four or five times a day. And what happens is it's not like the secret, right? You're not just, you can't just <laughs> think something and it's going to magically change your brain. But what does happen is if you take a minute to read that, particularly out loud, th there's at least a couple minutes where your mind has shifted and you're thinking, okay, my job actually is to bring out the best in these people around me, these people on my team. What am I doing? you know, to, to affect that, or like you just said, or what have I just done that could be harming that? And so little by little, it starts to, it starts to change. And this is really critical because if subconsciously we might say, well, of course I know, of course I know my job is to inspire greatness <laughs> in my team. The real question is how consistently do you act that way? And that is primarily a function of what you're, what you subconsciously believe. And subconsciously, We've all been programmed to think that winning and hitting the numbers is what's most important. That's why it's so easy to be an A player because all you got to do is execute, right? It's really hard to be a leader because now it's not about you executing anymore. It's about you inspiring others to execute. And so what happens is if this is what we subconsciously believe, we might say, I know my job is to inspire greatness in my team, but we act in a different way consistently. So if you can change that subconscious belief, it literally opens your mind to opportunities to bring out the best in others, opportunities to train yourself to bring out the best in others. Uh, it, it, it rewires your brain. And, and that's really what we're talking about. I mean, I just, I interviewed Gary Ridge yesterday. Was it yesterday? Two days ago. Um, the, the former CEO of WD-40, which is, wow. has one of the best uh, workplace cultures on the planet. I mean, this is like one of the non-sexiest businesses you can think of, right? They lubricate joints. They have like a 90% employee <laughs> engagement uh, at their company. And, you know, Gary said like this guy's, he, he was CEO for 25 years. He took the company from like a, I don't remember what it was like a $500 million market cap to two and a half billion in 25 years, um, or less, uh, absolutely had a, amazing results at this company. You know, he showed me as we were talking, he showed me this notebook that he has that reminds him that his primary job is to inspire greatness. It's not worded exactly like that. It says something like, here's, am I being the person, the leader that I want to be? Here's who I want to be. And a lot of the things that he has on that list are what we're talking about here. <laughs> am I being empathetic? Am I, am I bringing out the best in others? Those are the types of things on his list. He carries that thing around with him everywhere he goes. Why? Because he's still getting better at this. And from my limited view, he may be one of the best CEOs in the world at this.
And he's demonstrated with a company, a publicly traded company. He's got demonstrable results. And he still reminds himself on a daily basis what his true job is. So for people like you and me, <laughs> I'm going to say like, I think we should probably do the same thing too. <laughs> you know? No, those are key, key elements, man. And I'm so glad that we're able to dive so deep on sort of the the realities of leadership because there are many business owners out there right now who have dealt with a crisis that knocked many businesses on its back and closed down many doors. Uh, the, there are cuts being made on on teams and people being let go everywhere you look. And there are fewer and fewer opportunities to find a moment of solace where you can center yourself to bring your best foot forward as a leader, as someone who's running the show, if you're a smaller team and it's just you and maybe your employees, there's no C-suite, right? To even some boutique agencies that got about 15 employees and you have maybe two other partners with you who are running the show with you. Those are the moments where it's it's critical, right? Because you can get lost in the sauce if the company is big enough. Problems can exist for long periods of time. Uh, they're more palpable and noticeable when it's smaller businesses, whether it's solopreneurs with a few people to, like I said, small boutique agencies. That's where it's almost immediately apparent. And usually the talk of the con- of every lunch get together or any meeting where people are sort of like looking to the left and right and they want to put input and tell you why things aren't working and, 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 you know, but the, they don't have the culture necessary, the psychological safety to be able to speak to the, to the, to the owner of the company, the entrepreneur to tell, to let them know where the bullets are coming from in business. Right. You know, we're, we're <laughs> the right flank is taking a lot of fire. <laughs> we, we, we'd love to talk to you about this, but the last time anybody brought anything up, you just, got in the weeds with us, did the job for us and didn't give us any direction. And now are wondering why we haven't been able to solve it yet. Well, you're not, you know, and the list could go on. So I really do appreciate that we can dive into this and, and really illustrate these points and how, and highlight how important it is for somebody to understand this framework and to take a note from like what you said, uh, WD40. For me, that's like, it's on par with Google in the sense of like, it's a verb, right? I'm going to WD40 this or that. It's <laughs> yeah. not, you know what I mean? I don't know of another brand. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there are other brands that are trying to compete, but I don't know them, right? And that CEO that's there has his own reminders and that that's what high performers do. They remind themselves of their primary objectives, right? And and stick to it. That's what a leader is supposed to do. What's my North Star? And if a leader doesn't have their own North Star, how are they expected to show or be a North Star for others? Absolutely. Right? So so I love I love that we're having this conversation. If I may, uh, I'd like to take a break just to give a shout out to our supporters who made this show possible, this particular episode in particular. And then I'm going to roll out the red carpet for you as well, because I want people to know where they can get a hold of you. So for this episode, we've got uh, two two different uh, factions. First is Stephanie Emmett, who's also part of the community of listeners here. Uh, she essentially is reaching out to any solopreneurs who are spending a bunch of their time doing DIY marketing, which I'm sure many are. And if you're stuck there saying to yourself, I don't know what I should be doing. I'm doing all the things. All the things aren't working. I mean, email, does that even work anymore? I I don't want to come across as salesy, all that. Well, guess what? Stephanie Emmett herself actually is a copywriter by trade and specializes in helping you get your messaging just right in the written word. And she's got something called the Startups to Six Figures Mentorship as a solution. And 
She'll help you get rid of that analysis paralysis and actually get you moving and doing stuff. All you have to do is go to therightstephanie.com and that's right with the W-R-I-T-E, rightstephanie.com. Let them know the war room sent you. I think there's even a code war room for 10% off that first engagement. She'll take care of you. And if she doesn't, and you happen to be an author, we have somebody by the name of Shelby Joe Long who runs Rogue Publishing Partners. And what they do is they give you the full turnkey solution. If you ever told yourself, I need to write a book, kind of like what Matt did, you know, I need to write a book, but I wouldn't even know where to start. You don't have to take the guess. Rogue Publishing Partners will do that for you. A to Z, all the resources, whether you're a coach, an entrepreneur, a consultant, whatever the case is, just go to roguepublishingpartners.com. They'll take care of you. With that said, I want to turn it over to you, Matt. You've been so generous. You've opened up about your life. You've gone deep in the trenches with me about the war stories of real leadership issues that are being faced even to this very day. Where can people connect with you, get in touch with you? Uh, pretty easy. It's just matttenney.com is the easiest place to to find me. And I'm pretty Googleable. <laughs> M-A-T-T and then T-E-N-N-E-Y. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know too many Matt Tennies. <laughs> there are a couple. There's actually a performance coach at the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think it has my exact name too. Ah, I see. <laughs> but I'll I'll give you a I'll give you a special link, uh, Philip, to put in the show notes so that if okay. people if people want uh, some free help on engagement and retention uh, with their people, we'll we'll give them basically our framework for free. So just kind of walk them through how to set it up and in house for themselves. Uh. That's big, man. Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and add that uh, post show, uh, man. So we've done a lot here. I think we've got down some some bottom lines, and I, and I would have said, you know, like what's your key takeaway? But you you definitely dropped it, which was you got to make, you got to write it down, <laughs> you got to put it up there, and you got to carry it with you and remind yourself of at least one of those needs that you decided you're going to serve, and it, it's just it's important that we get people thinking about what their role is. And what the role is not, especially if you were somebody who was a high performer. And it's just exciting to talk to somebody who really understands it and is helping others get out of that. Because I've only seen the opposite, where it's people who continue to make the mistakes because they're also under leadership or mentorship by others who operate in the same way. And then they're all frustrated and wondering why things aren't going. And they believe in you can't find good help these days. You can't because good help is developed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it just is. Uh, and you're either working with people who had great opportunities to be developed. And if you are and you're not fostering that, you will lose them. That's just, just a fact. Uh, so with that said, the way we close things out on the show is I ask, an open-ended question. And I'm really curious to hear your answer. If you could have invited anybody, Matt, to this show today, who would you have loved to have had here and why? Anybody, any point, place, time in the world? Um, if he were still alive, I would probably want to have Thich Nhat Hanh here. Wow. He's a, he's a very, um, very prominent monk uh, from the from Vietnam who was actually nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, I mean, his 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 core teaching is pretty simple, which is basically what we're talking about. Try to identify what people need to thrive and be there for them, help them help them to thrive, and your life will be really rich. So I, I think he would have a very cool spin on this, not knowing the first thing about entrepreneurship. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he would have kind of a true beginner's mind that would probably shine some pretty cool light on what we're talking about. 
I love that you brought that up because the idea of beginner's mind is so important, right? When you're surrounded by incumbents and people who can only see what everyone has always seen and what everyone is and do what everyone has always done, you won't grow. There's stagnation literally built into a system and an infrastructure like that. So somebody who comes in and addresses some things, it's funny, people who are new to a team or organization are usually the last person to be heard. And that's the first person you should be paying attention to because they are literally your outsider's perspective looking in. And often they're the last people that are heard, listened to, or considered when being onboarded and brought into something. And I'm, I'm shocked by how many companies really do ignore people like that and tell them, no, we hired you for this. Don't even pay attention to that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I call that founderitis. You know, so there's just, I think there's something built into if you're the founder. You're the one that comes up with the big solutions, right? For the new strategy. And initially that's great. Cause if you're breaking into a market, you're launching something new, you need people who think like that, right? But from that point on, a lot of the biggest breakthroughs come from somebody on the front lines who realizes there's an opportunity here we're missing. You know, I would imagine that the vast majority of employees at Blockbuster saw Netflix coming, you know, five years before it happened. Nobody listened to them. Yep. Right? Yep. They're all no. the ones on their phones all the time doing everything digitally saying, "Hey, we better get we better get online. We better get out of these physical stores." Nobody listened to them. Yeah, I can imagine some of them even said, "Yeah, you know, I don't even get movies from work anymore. I, you know, I Blockbuster, I just just order it online. It gets delivered to me. I don't even think about it." And they're like, "What?" And then, you know, it's like, "Oh, well, if you're going to be working here, you can only shop at Blockbuster." <laughs> <laughs> I could so we say that out loud and we could both totally go, yeah, that could happen. There could be someone out there who goes, well, listen up. If you're going to be working here, you got to do things the way we do them and buy our products only. I, I've seen that. And it's just, mm. it blows my mind instead of, but those are also the people that obviously fall out and they don't succeed because it takes that ability to be flexible, regardless of the size of your company, to be flexible within that context to the best ability to get ahead of it. But anyways, man, we're about to start a whole second episode if we keep going. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you, man. I, I, I can really feel how present you are and what the work that you've done on yourself has done for your ability to be there for others. And I appreciate that you stopped by and shared a little bit of that with us on this conversation. It's a very important discussion, especially during our time of need for us to reinvigorate those who are listening, who are business owners and remind them of exactly what it looks like to be a leader, what it feels like and what it sounds like. So thank you for stopping by. My pleasure, Philip. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.